0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 28th, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor, Abe Woldt. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, Staggering uh, GDP number uh, came out this morning. The economy shrank in the first quarter of 2022. It didn't just slow down. It shrank. It's in negative territory, negative 0.4%. Of course, one more quarter after this, like this one, and we are in recession. Um, The good news politically just keeps coming for, for, for Joe Biden. Um, I don't think anybody uh, saw this coming. Um,
1: now the expectations fact, were for a one percent growth, which is not good. Yeah, but
0: it's not contraction, right? And we had a one point seven percent growth, uh, or essentially seven percent annualized, um, in the last quarter. So uh, what we have here is a you know a, a really significant slow to retraction.
1: stagnating growth and high inflation. Right, That's your music, John.
0: Here we like are. A Welcome a- to the nineteenth. 90- <laughs> Here we are. Here's disco. Here it comes. You're gonna get disco, you're gonna get Americathon, you're gonna get dynasty and happy, you're gonna get happy days. Uh you're you're gonna get leisure places and, and, and the me decade.
2: One.
3: You guys, need to <laughs> there there you just start throwing your sideburns down.
0: You're gonna get C B radio. I mean, everything, <laughs> everything that you pet rocks. Uh Yo yo's, I don't know. I mean, it's bad. It is, it is this is this is the formula. This and supposedly, by the way, you know, this was the famous thing that happened in the 1970s that theoretically in economic terms wasn't supposed to happen. Like you couldn't have inflation and no growth. Growth and inflation were supposedly You know, sort of like uh, twins, and now we have inflation and 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 negative growth. I mean, it's not even growth. I don't know what you call negative growth. Contraction (laughs) Kyle Smith over
1: at National Review had a good observation that this is actually worse than 2020. They're like, we haven't seen this since 2020. It's worse than 2020. And uh, GDP. He says, "quote GDP growth just went from plus six point almost seven percent last quarter to a point and a half decline this quarter, which is a bigger swing." Than the final quarter of 2019, when everything was great, to the first quarter of 2020, which was 1.9% growth in Q4 2019, to negative 5.1 in Q1 2020. So it's actually a bigger swing, attributable, I suppose, mostly to, um, uh, as well as fina- uh, you know hardships at home, inflation, but consumer demand is still alive. It's not in negative territory. There's a lot of disruption abroad, which is, I guess... Has shocked everybody who expected at least some tepid
2: growth this quarter. But uh, most of this is is pre uh, the um, supply chain slowdown in China and and pre uh, in uh, invasion problems as well.
0: You mean the new the new supply chain slowdown because right. of uh, because, yes. because of the COVID surge in, in right. China, right? <laughs> Which means that the portents uh, for 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 the next quarter are not good. Um, Obviously one of the, I mean, this is entirely a statistical advantage. (laughs) There's no advantage to any of this, but, you know, one of the advantages of having a bad quarter is that it doesn't take much for that to turn around. You know what I mean? It's like, if if, uh, if there was some, you know, specific disruption that we can't quite understand or see, you know, things returning to a better equilibrium means, you know, you can grow from, you know, you can grow from this uh, uh, very easily, even if your growth is nothing, you can then show gains. Um, but if, you know, but if the world situation is worsening, if the supply chain problems are are, are redoubling, and all of that, um, that, that is a pretty significant, um, you know, factoid uh, for us to uh, concern ourselves with. Um, you know, I, I don't want to, obsess over politics, though, you know, this is a po- podcast about politics. But I mean, uh, I wrote a book, my first book, Hell of a Ride, uh, was about the last 18 months of the, of the uh, first Bush administration, uh, the beginning uh, at the point where uh, Bush was at 91% in the polls because uh, he had triumphed. So resol- this is George H. W. Bush in, in the first Gulf War to 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 losing the election in twenty uh, in in nineteen ninety two, um, you know, with thirty eight percent of the vote, and how did this happen? And one of the things that I noticed basically from January onward was he never really had a good day. Like I'm talking about, it, sort of like a single day that he won. Do you know what I mean? Like day to day, either the news was not particularly bad but not particularly good or it was bad there was never like an affirmatively good news day for bush in pretty much in like the you know 300 days from new years to election day and while biden fair is fair biden is the biden administration has to be given credit for handling uh the ukraine situation, um, you know, uh, uh, pretty responsibly and and with some sense of, you know, the accelerated responsibilities on the United States to to keep Ukraine supplied so that it can continue with its with its fight. Just not not having a he hasn't really had a good day. I mean, the
1: two common denominators between those two very disparate circumstances Are a very threatened, very scary, very destabilized Russia that nobody wants to provoke, that nobody, that kind of we really want to push over the brink, but not so aggressively that they end up lashing out. And so you can't do anything too triumphalist about sort of objectively good geopolitical circumstances in that regard. I mean, they were, the Bush administration was very, very, George H.W. Bush administration was very cautious about being triumphalist over the collapse of the of communism in Eastern Europe. And the Biden administration is a little more aggressive, I suppose, with these comments about, you know, maybe we, we want a weaker Russia, but that's making everybody kind of scared. And you don't hear that from the, the White House and probably you shouldn't hear that from the White House, but that deprives them of, of, of the sort of rally around the flag effect that they thought they might get because they're doing all this sub rosa and cautiously and with,
0: you know, one... One toe in the, you know, in, in the diplomatic pool. I mean, there is something weird going on inside the Biden administration, where you have this kind of like cabinet departments do things or say things, or cabinet secretaries do things or say things, and then Jen Psaki goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, slow your roll, buddy." You know, um, the latest being this bizarre sort of—I don't know where Fauci is stand, where Fauci stands now, right? suddenly Fauci has become the voice of we're moving beyond the pandemic. And Jen Psaki kind of had decided to pour cold water on that. There's still COVID. We're still in a pandemic. Fauci's like, I'm going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Somebody humiliated, shamed him into not going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, even though he's, you know, four times vaccinated or, you know, vaccinated and double boosted, has no reason not to go to the dinner. Uh, as far as we know, but is not going to the dinner as some kind of symbol of I don't know what. He's not going, but apparently Biden is going.
3: Yeah. Can I can I say just to, just one can that's we this weekend, one, by the way, yeah. one brief second on this? Yeah, this actually I, it, it's a cesspool. It, it's such a perfect example of the media D.C. swamp. Um, and many people have criticized it for many reasons. But Biden is going and we haven't had a president attend in quite a while, uh, I believe, which I think was a good thing. Like they, they shouldn't be at this thing, but he's going to go. He's going to have someone write a supposedly funny speech for him. Um, But the optics of all these Democrats in particular and Biden in particular partying with the media on a weekend in lavish settings with I mean the, the parties start today and go you know run all the way through the weekend all over town uh, the images of all these folks partying it up when the country is suffering when we're when when you know uh, we're dealing with Ukraine we're dealing but mainly when the country is suffering even Democrats Celinda Lake did a did a focus group and reported on it even Democrats who were painfully trying to make excuses for this Biden administration's behavior are like, Yeah, things aren't great. I thought they'd be better and they're really not great. And we're really worried about inflation, too, even though we're kind of this was a wealthier group of of Democratic voters. I mean, the optics right now of this are bad. Forget COVID, but the optics are bad. Why is he attending this this debacle?
0: I have to defend the white house course and okay wait i minute. should
3: caveat i went once i went to it was you I, know, went, I went years i went ago, many so, yeah. i went
0: many times i went many times i went like for 20 years in a row i love it i'm not defending it i love it because it was it's like going to a convention it's like going to your it's like going to your convention if you're yeah i don't know if you're a Aluminum siding salesman, you go to a convention, there are everybody else is an aluminum siding salesman. And, you know, it's like, you can stand and talk in a corner about aluminum siding with, you know, with, with great relish and what's going on, you know, in the Topeka market and all of that. And it's like, but that's different than is. elected
3: okay. a leaders going.
0: I, I okay anyway, I'm not really defending it. I just, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I, I've always enjoyed it and I haven't been in a a long time and I, i miss it and I wish I could go. No one's inviting me anymore. Uh, because I'm not staff on, on any, you know, commentary could buy a table for thousands of dollars, but I'm not going to do that. Um, it didn't used to be an issue. Like the idea that the president could go out and, you know, tell a joke or go, go to a Washington dinner, uh, it never used to be an issue. This is part and parcel of everything that's gone on in Washington over the last 15 years, where the relations between the parties, the whole point of this dinner was to say, look, there's one night a year when we can all come together and have a good time together and joke and laugh and have fun and da da da. da. And then they started inviting comedians who started getting increasingly aggressive toward the president and toward the people in office and. Um, and you know making people uncomfortable and the president then would you know make jokes and the president might make a joke about Donald Trump that might bring Donald Trump to run for office and win the presidency it just it's a it's a it's a maybe the old way uh, was nonsense maybe the old way was just part of this old boy network establishmentarian system that kept innovation and uh, and you know uh, sclerotic and sort of supported a kind of corrupt system i i'm I, that that's that's very possible but the whole notion that it should be a controversy that the president goes to a dinner one night in washington that's like it doesn't there are two of them or there were two of them there was the radio and tv correspondence which is the dinner that you see in uh broadcast news for example and then there's the white house correspondence dinner the nature of which changed when the Clintons came in because the Clintons had, you know, um, courted all of these Hollywood people who then desperately wanted to come. And then suddenly it was like Swifty Lazar's Oscar party or something. Well, and every you know, every
3: publication would then invite a Hollywood celebrity. It wasn't yeah. like each table had to have a sort of token Hollywood celebrity. And I mean, I'm not saying it's a scandal for Biden to go. I'm saying op- as a matter of political optics right now with the country where it is, it seems foolhardy, especially given that he's unlikely to be able to deliver a speech. Well, I just I I I think
2: it's uh, I mean, I think Christine's point is excellent. And it's I think it's even less about uh, the state of the economy than it is. People are I think Americans are really getting nauseated by the sort of schmoozing aspect here of the, the sort of political media complex you know you got Jen Psaki's going off to to now you know be on tv and uh Obama's producing movies over at Netflix and Spotify is on Spotify yeah so there's this there's a there's this um sense of like who, who are these people and like how many channels are they directing into our heads you know like it's 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 a big part of the of the pushback against the w- what's seen as the establishment
0: i mean fair enough you know uh, uh, we're now just uh, you know romping all over the all over the landscape here but um i was struck by something there's a really wonderful piece by jacob siegel in tablet this morning tabletmag.com i commend to everybody's attention which is sort of like musk versus obama musk is now some kind of representative of an idea of free express uh, free expression in the former president of the united states Uh, Is now championing this uh, effort to um, erect barriers on the internet to the flow of information to ensure that disinformation does not spread. And I was fascinated by this because it's not just as I keep saying that Obama said, you know, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, which was an act of disinformation. To support his own highly controversial uh, piece of legislation, but that we are now we've now moved into an, an, an era in which a former president of the United States can say things like, "We need to police speech," and enormous numbers of people seem to think that's okay. Like
3: enormous numbers of journalists back that yeah, up as okay, right. <laughs>
0: and and. The point is that presidents always want to police speech in a certain to a certain degree. There's a very specific limitation on speech that presidents and administrations advocate, and that is in, the, in in the case of national security threats or or you know national security threats, which can be you 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 know will go after you if you publish the name of a of a covert agent because you could that that you will you will get that covert agent killed what's called sources and methods you know or not a covert agent or sources of information inside countries that are people who are risking their lives to present us with that kind of information that there have to be some restrictions on you know on a completely free speech world uh, in order in order to keep people safe and from getting killed and to keep, you know, uh, very, very serious national secrets from getting out and then important information not getting to an enemy or, you know, plans for how to make a rocket or a a nuclear weapon or whatever. So presidents always, or administrations, always have to have some role in saying you you can't have unfettered free speech uh, because there are civilizational risks at stake. And I guess that's kind of Obama's point here in saying, you know, our democracy is at risk. So we really need to look into this, but, you know, because of our democracy, you know, we, we don't, if we don't have a democracy, we're not going to have any speech. So we can't let these people destroy our democracy. But he said something else in his speech at Stanford, that was very striking. And he said, People are losing faith in the institutions of government. They're losing faith in institutions. And we can't have that. We need to make sure that people have respect in institutions. And this is something that all conservatives believe and understand. Conservatives actually are supporters of institutions, media institutions, non-governmental institutions, all kinds of institutions to you know, provide us with uh, you know, a, a web of connection uh, that we can all sort of be, be part of but institutions are not discredited from the outside particularly in the united states if institutions governmental institutions in particular are getting discredited it's not because tucker carlson says something on fox that obama doesn't like it's they're getting discredited because they are behaving in discreditable ways and that is a that is a multi-decade problem
1: the very simple was, solution,
0: yeah. though, one that's perhaps a little reductive, but what? nevertheless,
1: I think the, the prescription, which is that these things need to stay in their lane. Why is it that we have an ACLU that is against free speech? When did we get an, a National uh, Rifle Association that decided it was a political action committee? Why is the Department of Homeland Security policing speech? Because these things have expanded beyond their remit, everything is, all of them believe that they are responsible to everything. Because the activist class has captured so much of this landscape that they have become general interest groups. And they're not supposed to be general interest organizations. In the the case of the Department of Homeland Security, it's certainly not supposed to be a speech, speech policing organization. They've all just decided that it's within their remit to focus on everything. Because everything well, this very... relates to to everything else in some sort of
0: in a weird academic way, you can convince yourself of that, but it's just not look, true. Look, this is a very important point because, of course, you're, you mentioned the ACLU and suddenly now becoming sort of a greater supporter of trans rights than it is of free speech, and the civil liberties that the ACLU was created to protect are First Amendment rights. Uh, particularly speech, also religion, though they don't really seem to care that much about religion, but uh, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, and freedom of religion, those are the First Amendment civil liberties. Those are the ones that the ACLU was created to protect, and they're no longer interested in them. Similarly, uh, the uh, Anti-Defamation League uh, doesn't seem to be all that interested except here and there in... It's much less interested in... Fighting anti-Semitism and being a bulwark against anti-Semitism than it is in participating in democratic politics or Democratic Party politics or providing cover for democratic politicians and that sort of thing. Why does this happen? Why don't they stay in their lane? What what's wrong with having a lane? What's wrong with being the organization that is supposed to be the premier one to handle these matters? It's because people get bored. And they feel like they're in a corner, and they want to, They want to play in the big sandbox. You know, they they want to be. They want to. They want to be in 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 it up to their net. They want to. They want to do Black Lives Matter. They want to do climate change. They want to do da 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 da. And it's all fine. Well, and the right too. I mean, yeah.
1: the National Rifle Association I think is a great example yes. of this because it stopped advocating for gun rights and started advocating against cultural Marxism whatever that means. I mean, it just got captured by right-leaning interest groups and became a gen- a, a generic Republican pack, which is not right. what it's supposed to do and doesn't, doesn't preserve what it's supposed to preserve, doesn't energize the constituents it's supposed to energize. It just lost its way.
0: I mean, so, but as I say, so this is all part of these institutions losing their legitimacy in part because they, they start pursuing aims and ends that call... That that call their
2: commitment to to their main cause into question. Which is what Obama is proposing in the name of preserving the legitimacy of institutions. He's 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 doing the exact thing that is eroding our trust in them.
3: Yeah, he loves to cite the the actually loves to cite this st- statistics about how people just don't trust the media anymore. And you're thinking, yeah, you know why? Because they they basically laundered a lot of the lies that politicians like you spouted for years. Of course, I don't trust them
1: because they because media's objective is to inform and they no longer trust you with information. They don't trust what you're going to do with objectively provided, dispassionate facts. You need right, to be well, coaxed and Hunter... guided into a into a contextual conclusion that they prefer, which
3: is beyond the remit of media. Which they is craft narrative; the Hun- they don't yeah, inform. We, it's about narrative crafting. This
0: is why the Hunter Biden story is a was a is a slow acting uh, poison, and is uh, you know among the most important things that has happened in the last ten years. The decision of social media companies to suppress that story. On the false basis, on the the claim that they could not verify that it was not Russian disinformation, which it wasn't, uh, did not trust a major journalistic institution, that is the New York Post, to have done the due diligence of making sure that it wasn't Russian disinformation, which it did, and that ultimately to try to put their finger on the scale to get Biden elected because they wanted Biden elected. I mean, if you don't trust the media or social media or whoever it is, this is why. I mean, and what's more, uh, you know, it's terrible that we don't have trust in institutions anymore. I, I continue to think that among the greatest disasters of the 20th century was the decline of the American Catholic Church's authority as an institution because of the sex scandals that that laid it that laid the church low. The American the, the American Catholic Church was an enormously important, enormously influential and in, in, um, creator of uh, conservative social boundaries for tens And tens and tens of millions of people uh, who were cut loose from any sense of connection to how their own personal behavior might have a moral framework in which they should think about it and, you know, cosmological, eschatological ideas about life and human existence and all of that. That is the largest denomination in the United States. It was the most, you know, in, in many cities, the cardinal was the most important political figure outside of the mayor or the governor or whatever. And the church is, you know, a shadow of its former self. And this is a terrible, terrible thing. On the other hand, it deserved it. I mean, that's the problem. It deserved it because it became a discreditable institution because its behavior discredited it.
3: You know, it's funny. Can't, yeah. Uh, I, I was just i just watched the movie spotlight again with one of my kids um and the portrait it makes of journalism is what made me sad i'm like that's not how journalism works anymore it's all about it's the sort of how the boston globe kind of covered a lot of these sex abuse scandals and published this despite it being in obviously a very heavily Catholic area. Um, And and it's obviously a very glamorous portrait uh, of, or very, I should say very flattering portrait of how journalism works. And it was amazing to watch. And the whole time I just was, I, I found myself very cynical about it and thinking, this isn't how journalism works anymore. If this were if this if, if this weren't the Catholic Church being investigated, but you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, Facebook, it would not happen this way. It wouldn't happen with this kind of pursuit of truth and honesty. It would be much right. more narrative 14
0: months they spent 14 months yeah. on that investigation it's five people working full time for 14 yeah. months
3: It's a great movie <laughs> It is
0: it, it, I mean it is a great movie it's the single it's actually despite whatever you will call glamorous it is the single best most accurate movie about the workings of
3: yes not glamorous uh, of, a,
0: <laughs> of, a, of a of a journalistic institution um that these institutions as they are portrayed in spotlight don't exist anymore but um they, they really don't that's not what they are anymore but I'm just uh, on saying the Hunter, that Obama. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. On the
2: Hunter Biden point, I just want to say, you know, you, you can see exactly how these institutions set themselves up to be discredited because it's at least conceivable that Elon Musk might not have moved on Twitter without the Hunter Biden scandal. It's something he's been vocal about. He's been vocal about it recently, I'm not, I'm not. I don't know that I'm not saying it was definitive, but, you know, he has thoughts on this. Um, and and thoughts that have shaped his decision to to move on twitter the censor at twitter
0: this lawyer who is the censor at twitter my my nephew noam bloom discovered or looked into it and found that uh, she was paid 17 million dollars last year seven she she is a she is she's not like the ceo she's not this is a this is twitter she's paid 17 million dollars last year And what she does there is run run the content moderation business, which is to say the set of policies that says that if you dead name, you know, if you you use a female pronoun for somebody who has decided that they're a trans man, you should be banned $17 million a year. Um, So this is not just something that they do because they feel... They have to in order to preserve their Twitter's legitimacy within the system and to keep it clean. So this is something for which people are being insanely rewarded with enormous wealth, grandiose wealth. like, you know, I, I know major lawyers in the United States who argue before the Supreme Court and do mergers and acquisitions and blah 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 blah, they don't make seven they don't make no seventeen million dollars a year. you know. They make many millions of dollars a year, but, you know, so even that is itself an indication of where, of how the value structure of, of, of all of this has gone totally out of whack. And we have to, you know, uh, Obama, if you want institutions to stop being discreditable, the idea of saying that you can't talk about them. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to silence efforts to talk about them in ways that discredit them. You're just going to accelerate it. How are we going to exist in a world in which nobody has faith in an institution that doesn't completely comport with their ideological priors? I I, I genuinely, I honestly don't know. There are a few in the United States. I still think the military, people feel that the military transcends that, Um, I don't know. I mean, other I, there, there, there must be other, <laughs> I think in, increasingly, by the way,
2: honestly, local we're police. learning that people think that <laughs> way about
0: police, local police. That's yeah. right. Well, you wouldn't have said that two years ago.
1: No, you would have. In fact,
0: there you was never, there were. was
1: never a point at which Gallup, which measures faith in institutions pretty regularly over the last 30, 40 years found that local police was mistrusted by a majority of, or a, sub, a majority, a substantial majority. Um, it was always one of the most trusted institutions,
0: even at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. And of course, one of the one of the catastrophes of the public health uh, nightmare of the last uh, the handling of COVID by the public health authorities the last two years is that most people are not going to make a distinction between the public health authorities and their doctors and the hospitals and stuff like that. it's all going to be kind of the, in in the view of most people that's going to be a blob. You know, they don't know that Barbara Ferrer. Of, of LA, the public health commissioner of LA, isn't a doctor and has some bullshit communications degree from, you know, Bohunk University, um, and somehow therefore is uh, put in a position to make epidemiological decisions um, about, you know, a, a county of 4 million people. Um, I, I don't really understand that. But I mean, most people are not going to say, well, you know, most doctors, they're fine, you know, my, my doctors, they're, they're going to, they're, the skepticism about being told how to live healthily, for example, or what you're supposed to do to be cautious about getting stuff.
3: I mean, no. well, look, look, not to keep bringing up the White House yeah, Correspondence Center, but the Biden administration officials who are going to go party without masks on in a ballroom are the same ones who are literally uh, you know, appealing a decision to lift mandates on airplanes and, and trains and such like the Again, the, the, the disconnect is not is, is totally noticeable to the average person who looks at this and just sees hypocrisy every which way they look.
0: It's either hypocrisy or it's like, I don't know if it's idiocy is the right word, but if the Biden administration is pursuing the notion that uh, you know, the, the judge had no right to lift the mask mandate uh, and, and is suing for the CDC to have that right. Uh, okay. So I, the CDC no longer has a mask mandate for, you know, indoor spaces at hotels, I guess they just have them <laughs> but the, I mean, for planes. So what, what Jen Psaki
1: should say is that, well, the, the, this particular institution is suing to preserve its bureaucratic ability to institute these kinds of measures when it's necessary. But she doesn't trust you to relate that information accurately. And she doesn't think it's very sexy and it's not. So she has to invent the notion that the pandemic is still here because that's where the urgency lies. Even though there's no urgency in, in the administration's response and it's patently
0: false, it's the explanation that she thinks you'll buy. You know, I was remembering last year, we had some conversation, we were having some conversation about how on earth would we know when the pandemic was over? And it's interesting because I said the only way the pandemic is ever going to be over is when Fauci says the pandemic is over. Because again, this was last year. So it's like, he has got to be the one to say it to quiet the, you know, it's sort of like be the one person the liberals can't cross to say the pandemic is, I don't know when that'll be, you know, this is when we were moving toward, you know, the wonderful summer of 2021 with, you know, victory over COVID. And we were all supposed to go out and party and have fun and all of that. And, and, and he, you know uh, so he just said it, he said it yesterday or the day before yesterday, he said, we've moved beyond the pandemic phase. And the white house isn't ready To have him say, apparently the White House was not ready to have him say that.
3: Within 20, before 24 hours had elapsed, they were saying the opposite. We're in a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic.
0: Now they're saying that, I think, because if they don't say it, then the logic of the lawsuit makes no sense. So they should drop the goddamn lawsuit.
3: A lot of things don't make sense. Forgive me for saying
0: this. We have a listener who came to the... Palm Beach uh, live podcast, who is a a really wonderful guy, and he was really upset when I used the curse word that I just used, and I'm sorry I did so, and I will try to remember not to do that in future. Go ahead.
3: It's it's also the logic of forgiving all student loan debt, for spending more government money, that they need it as a logic for a lot of things that the American people don't need or want, so that's another, it's a useful tool for them, they think. I think they're wrong. I think there'll be a backlash to that way of thinking, but that's not what they think.
0: I mean, so I go back to saying that, you know, I, I wrote this book and, where Bush didn't have a, a good day for 300 days and then lost the presidency, right? And that today represents yet another day in which Biden has not had a good day. and most days, he has not had good days and all of that. Maybe they just stink at this. I don't even mean Biden. I mean, yeah, Jen Psaki says, no, we're still in a pandemic. They must have had a meeting to discuss how they were going to talk about Fauci. And this was the line they came up with. Maybe they're morons. Maybe they're stupid. Maybe Ron Klain is an idiot. Maybe they are actually genuinely. They've lost the thread. They're unrealistic. They don't understand the mood of the American people. They don't, they they are, they are looking, they're hearing things in their ear that they are listening to too intently and not hearing things that they should be hearing. And they're making dumb decisions every day. Nothing else explains
1: the revivification of the idea that we should forgive student loans. That one I thought was long ago dead. It's just somehow been assumed from its political grave.
0: Why? Because there was a poll five days ago that showed Biden down 20 points in favorability among voters 18 to 30 and and that you know this this is the strongest demographic for democrats versus republicans in the united states you know they're like two to one democratic and they don't like biden so let's give them something like the legal- legalize weed next well, they should actually do that to comport with state laws. <laughs> okay, but, but I'm just saying. Like, why did they do it? Again, maybe this is dumb. Maybe they're dumb. I mean, I, you know, this is like a reductio ad absurdum. I never want to think that that the, my antagonists or the people I disagree with are dumb because I need to give them the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing. You know, I I think one should be one should take one's ideological and you know uh, political opponents seriously.
3: But the, but I don't think it's that they're dumb necessarily. I think it's part of this. It's it's part of the same um, uh, way of thinking that leads people like Jen Saki, as 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 you said earlier, Noah, to. to Say stupid things that aren't true because they don't think we're smart enough to understand the, comp- the slightly that's more complicated it. thing. But that's this is what this is too. They'll give us gimmick after gimmick, a hundred days to this, a little student loan there, an executive order satisfying you. It's all a gimmicky presidency because they don't think we can handle the truth.
1: So it's a species of stupidity that manifests in overconfidence and exactly. a real you know misapprehension of your own capacity to manipulate people into doing what they don't want to do.
0: Look,
2: I that's I, I also think. This is yes, it's,
3: it's it's not smart,
2: <laughs> smart
0: ways. They're sitting around saying American people can't handle, you know, they're like, you know, they're like uh, they're like Jack Nicholson and a few good men going, you can't handle the truth. But they don't That actually know goes the to truth.
1: institutional decline as well. Just a yes.
0: over irrational yeah. overconfidence. Yeah. How about if they the don't know the together? Truth? <laughs> the whole point was the truth was, yeah, we had to shoot that guy and a few good men. What if they don't know the truth? The truth is the pandemic is over. They don't know that. The truth is that their economic policies have led to a galloping inflation rate. They don't know that. The but- truth is that pulling out of Afghanistan was going to have horrible ancillary consequences. They didn't know that and they don't know that now. That's, you know, in the end, I don't know, I don't know how to look at this, but say. The minute that they come out with a policy announcement, they're back to build back better. They're back to coming up with some plan to pass this piece of legislation that they spent three and a half, four, six months on that collapsed. And, you know, uh, I I have one more stupid pop culture analogy, and then I'm going to drop and let Abe speak, which is there's this great moment in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, one of the great movies ever made. If you haven't seen it, you should see it, even if you don't know Star Trek and everything like that. So Khan, this uh, superpowered guy, basically, uh, he's like he wants to avenge uh, his uh, exile on a planet to uh, go after uh, Kirk and the Enterprise. And everything just keeps going wrong. And then finally, at some point, his son, I think it's his son, is killed on 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 board his ship and the ship. They, they shoot the ship and it's bloods and cons on his ship. And you know he he keeps saying I'm going to avenge you. I will avenge. You. I'm going to you know Kirk. I will have my vengeance and da da da. And then he's sitting there in the ship on his seventeenth vengeance, and this 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 kid has died in his arms, and he says, "I will avenge you." And it's a kind of sad, comic, weirdly comic moment because it's like stop trying to avenge. Every time you try to get vengeance, you you fail, and that's like build back better. It's like. We will bring back, build back better. Why do you want to bring back, build back better? Like, why do you want to remind people of your colossal failure and then fail again? I mean, this isn't even Lucy and the football. I don't even know what it is. So they're dumb. I think this is the secret is that they're dumb. And so every time they do something, you should assume that it's a bad idea. Not that it's a policy bad idea, though, that may be that, but like, they're doing something
2: stupid. Okay, I'm done with it. my rant. I think that's part of it. Okay. What strikes me is that I can't remember a time in my life where it seemed less like we actually have a president and we have instead have a sort of staff in in his place. And part of what's going on, I've said this before, I think is that that staff is so consumed with handling, propping up, walking back for a president who is just not all there just not on top of his game and it is eating up a great deal of time and energy and it it's very hard to be nimble when you're in that kind of situation so they keep going back to 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 bad ideas because this is this is they don't they don't have the luxury of being able to maneuver and move forward and get creative. So the, they've got a bigger problem on their hands.
1: There's so the also Biden quite, White House I, is exactly what they thought the Reagan White House was all those years. Right. It never was. There, we're, we're, also, this is the Al Hag administration.
3: There's there's an over there's a there's a sort of overarching thing too to the whole are they stupid or or are they there's a sa- level of sanctimony to what they do that's stupid even when it's proven stupid that they insist on doubling down on and and it makes me think of another reason why they all hate that Elon Musk bought Twitter and this actually also speaks to Noah's awesome book that's coming out soon they can't they they have no sense of humor about anything so Musk had this hilarious tweet uh, like late last night where he said he joked he's like I'm gonna buy Coca Cola and put the Cocaine back in it. I mean, the guy is funny. Like he, he's 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 got a sense of humor. And when I read that and laughed, I thought, this is what is missing in the Biden administration. No one there has a sense of humor. No one has the self awareness to kind of understand that they're just so serious and they're so so working so hard for the American people. Meanwhile, the American people are like, this isn't working for us. What are you doing to help us?
0: You know, uh, that gets into. We should talk. I want to talk about uh, a. A new Puritan development, uh, fascinating development that seems, um, again, politically stupid for reasons we'll get into uh, relating to tobacco. But before we go there, I need to talk to you about Fast Growing Trees. I would say Noah's favorite commentary advertiser right now, uh, because he went to FastGrowingTrees.com and got some trees for his beautiful yard to make it even more beautiful because that's what fast growing trees does for you there's no waiting in lines if you go to fastgrowingtrees.com no messy cars from hauling plants all over town you order your trees online or over the phone and your plants are shipped to you and you're in one to two days and they provide growing and care advice 24 7 um Their experts curate thousands of plant varieties that will thrive in your specific climate, location, and needs. Whatever you need, increased privacy, shade, adding some natural beauty to your yard, fast growing trees has the perfect plants and the expertise to help you find them. Even if you've never had a green thumb, they'll make you feel like you do. One million home gardeners have already seen what fastgrowingtrees.com will do for them. And they have that 30-day alive and thrive guarantee so you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary right now and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. So the news comes that using some modality that I don't understand... Uh, some part of the Biden administration—I can't remember which one—is set to ban the production and sale of mentholated cigarettes. Um, so let's stipulate: cigarettes are bad; they're bad for you. They give people lung cancer. That's the easily, most easily preventable form of de- disease of death that we that we know. If people don't smoke, I smoked. I quit. You know, I and all of that. Uh, however, I, it, it's a legal substance. Uh, it has not gone through the legislature to ban the existence of tobacco um, and, and all of that. And yet we're somehow going to regulate one form of tobacco, uh, mentholated tobacco uh, out of out of existence, apparently. And a lot of people in the United States like smoking menthol cigarettes and they're all voters and what's more, I think there a lot of them are Democratic voters because men. And this is not. I'm not making a racially uh, stereotyped comment here. Uh, mentholated cigarettes are smoked primarily by African Americans.
1: No, you're citing Centers for Disease Control data. Yeah, 76% that's, that's of African American smokers smoke mentholated cigarettes. Right.
0: Um so uh a lot of people like to smoke mentholated cigarettes they're not going to be able to anymore under this doctrine which did not again go through the legislature um no this is all a moral panic and it has a very significant cl- uh, class
1: anxiety aspect to it um brief digression this is similar in ways to the FDA under Scott Gottlieb's crusade to rid Uh, the consumer landscape of flavors in vape products. Um, These products vaporized uh, nicotine inhalers, which were treated like tobacco products as a result of a compromise with the FDA in order to regulate them properly, which ended up having the perverse effect of forcing all of these companies into the hands of big tobacco. They are all in one form or another owned by big tobacco companies as a result of the Uh, the impediments to entering the market that the FDA placed on it. So now we have this very strange condition in the United States where it's impossible in a lot of places for you to get a flavored tobacco product, which the FDA now recognizes as a nicotine replacement therapy. Took forever to get that. So you can't get a flavored product because that's too scary for kids. But you can get flavored dope products wherever you want. Even in states where it's it's not legal, you can get Delta eight products, which are an, an THC product and they're flavored and they're right on the shelves because that makes a lot of sense. Um, yes, there's a puritanical aspect to this. There was a two, year 2000 Surgeon General's report that uh, made it plain that this sort of moral crusade that became of the anti-smoking effort uh, after the discovery of secondhand health effects as a result from smoking, represented a barrier to the um, efforts to reduce American uh, reliance on tobacco products and smoking. Um, because of a, 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 an ingrained and innate hostility towards that kind of moral policing. Um, and that went away. Then you began to see tobacco drop off. And then when, with the advent of vapes, you began to see a real significant and sustained decline. And now with an all out assault on this product that doesn't involve any combustion and doesn't have any tobacco in it, um, you begin to see these, uh, these rates tick up again. Uh, So, and all this just engenders hostility. So you're going to see hostility among people who primarily use these products, these legal products, African-Americans, Hispanics, and young people. So
2: uh, Al Sharpton, who I very rarely, if ever, have a kind word to say for, uh, has made the point here, and I think it's a good one. There's there's some question about his connection to uh, the tobacco industry. Nonetheless- he said, well, among the other things you're doing here is that you are criminalizing uh, 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 sort of casual pastime behavior of among African-Americans. This is going to mean increased police activity uh, among, in black communities. You, you, you have now created another potential crime that, you, that, that will need enforcing in these communities.
1: Right, and it, it's not going to go away. What happens when you ban a product? It just goes underground. It's not like menthol cigarettes are going to disappear tomorrow. They will from store shelves, but they're still out there. They're going to be destroyed. No,
0: they're going to be sold in the black market. The idea that you would, uh, when you are when you are showing a uh, favorite subject of Abe's, when you when when the data are showing a weakening connection between a certain voting group and the political party. That weakening connection is the connection of African-Americans to the democratic party. You're gonna go after a pleasure enjoyed by adult African-Americans with your nanny state, finger wagging, uh, you know, uh, and by the way, uh, after two years of of the uh, public health bureaucracy, you know telling you how what to do and how to behave and all of that um you're actually going to make their life harder uh because it's better for them you're doing it you're doing it for their own good we're not supposed to do things for their own good for adults we are a self-governing people um i i don't need the cdc or the nih
2: telling me how to behave as an adult they could don't do this smoke? yeah go ahead <clears throat> they could do this i mean this would be the equivalent of saying we're going to get rid of flavored chew tobacco and dips we know there's a there's a very specific demographic among whom that's popular uh young white rural uh, well, uh rural. they will right. well i don't think they will
0: i think they will i think they're going to and what's more it doesn't the whole point of this logic is there's no limiting principle. The we have to do this if we can, because uh, left unchecked, this behavior leads to terrible consequences, right? There's a diabetes crisis in the United States. You think that the logic of the next 20 years won't involve a significant effort to ban sugar? I'm not joking like there will be an idea that, you know, they use taxation policies and things like that. There was already there's already big talk. And of course, Bloomberg, you remember, uh, banned uh, a big gulps in New York City, used some weird modality to ban big gulps because who needs 32 ounces of soda? That's just creating the obesity crisis. Yeah, it wasn't you know, just the problem that,
1: with- though. It wasn't just banning the large drinks. It was also banning your ability to pay for them using supplemental nutrition assistance, food stamps.
0: Right. Because it's whole, all
1: about class. These people can't make the right decisions for
0: themselves. They're too poor. Right. My, my point here is that there is no limiting principle. This was always the problem once you started moving into the secondhand smoke theory of, of, of smoking uh, banning and smoking cessation. Is there is no limiting principle. If you can say... The health consequences of X are such that the government is permitted to intervene, or the federal government is permitted to intervene uh, I- in this fashion. Then, um, what health outcome does not require the federal government to intervene? What positive health outcome? Like I said, there's. This is sugar. also that's a conspiracy theory, right? I mean,
1: when we're talking about when we ever we talk about expanding uh, health benefits uh, in, in legislation. That creates a broader risk pool that you're a part of, that the conservatives are always, oh, well, that means they're going to come and regulate all your health decisions because now it's a part of, you know, now it affects the health insurance premiums of all of us. So your your consumption habits are my problem too. No, 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 that's a conservative conspiracy theory. That's, you know, it's paranoia, it's slippery slope arguments. That's never going to happen. And then it always happens.
0: The only thing that has made the smoking cessation movement so incredibly successful, and it is one of the great public health successes of all time. More than half of Americans smoked at one point, and now I think a quarter to uh, to a fifth of Americans smoke. Like that's a that's a that's a huge change in personal behavior over the course of half a century. Enormous, like epical. Very very little that that that, that compare can compare with it. And it wasn't just the information about cancer. It wasn't just banning advertising. It wasn't just that. It was the idea that you might conceivably be doing harm to others with your cigarette, right? Secondhand smoke. You, you know, first of all, people don't like it. They don't like smelling it. It gets on their clothes. It stings their eyes. They don't like it. They shouldn't have to suffer it so that you can enjoy your cigarette. Like your cigarette isn't you know, a victimless crime in that sense. Like it gets into other people's way and may in fact have deleterious health consequences. Now we get to your diabetes costs me money on my health insurance policy. So you better stop eating sugar because I don't want to have to pay for your You know, uh, diabetes for your foot to be when your foot has to be amputated. I shouldn't have to be part of that risk pool. That's what Noah is talking about uh, when he says this is a conservative conspiracy theory, except it isn't a conservative conspiracy theory. It is actually just how risk pools work. (laughs) It's also openly discussed. This is being openly discussed. Companies are being um, are being it is it is being are hiring consultants who are telling them not to hire that they should be using health concerns as a means of determining who and whom not to hire. Don't hire smokers. Don't hire people with high risk profiles. You know, And then down the road, this is Gattaca. We're going we're to live in a world in which only people whose DNA configuration suggests that they have you know long lives without a lot of illness. I mean, you know that, that it, it, we're in a very we're in a very weird place here and uh, and so but again, politically, I just want to get back to the stupid point before we end. It is politically stupid to move on menthol cigarettes when you want people to vote in the fall of 2022. You want African-Americans who seem to be uncommonly uninterested in voting this year to vote. Well, I don't know how many of them smoke, how many adult males or adults, adult African-Americans smoke mentholated cigarettes. But it's a lot. It's a lot of them. A couple, you know, four or five million. I mean, let's say I don't even know. Two million, three million, four million. Make their lives more
2: difficult just when you need them to go to the polls for you. That's stupid. Not only make their lives more difficult, tell them that they can't be trusted to make up their own mind on things. T- t- take the choice out of their hands entirely. That is just a, them. That is a huge, and you know, this is
0: this is where the rubber is meeting the road. It, you You can't trust the American people to make adult decisions about what they do with their bodies when it comes to tobacco and nicotine and sodas and stuff like that. And you can't trust them to commu- you know, to consume information. You've got to hire somebody at the department of Homeland security to chat, to, to do some project on disinformation. A person who's named Jankowitz is her name who apparently during 2019 and 20, uh, during 2020 uh, spent two weeks on Twitter talking about how the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian disinformation campaign. And now she is at Homeland Security in charge of some project on disinformation. Uh, okay. So this is really who you want to be. You know, they're worried about authoritarianism. Really? I mean this is the word that people are using, the Trump the Republicans, the Trumpians are like bringing about authoritarianism, but you know that's their goal. This is all soft authoritarianism. I I mean I, it's not, you know, it's not hard authoritarian, but you know what it's is it
3: Ministry of Disinformation in the in the Department of Homeland Security. I mean it, the, the the dystopian ring to some of these these new positions to, seem to have been lost on them, but yeah. <sighs>
0: So they're stupid is what I'm saying. I'm going with stupid. I, I, I know this is a word I, I use too much. I really do. I say, I, I used it too much on Twitter. I called a lot of people blitheringly stupid. I use the word stupid too much. I actually, again, do not tend to think that my opponents are stupid. And I read and I engage with writers and thinkers and activists and politicians on the left and among liberals with whom I disagree, whom I think make very strong arguments I need to learn from and in order to contest. But that ain't the Biden administration, which is, you know, which is just pure Keystone cop, you know, misdirection and wrong way, wrong way Feldman flying. And I don't know what else. And I just every day, I'm just going to watch to see what they announce and then figure whatever that is, bet on the opposite being the politically sensible thing to do. Are we all in agreement on this or is this just me being like a radical
2: uh ad hominem you know hysteric well i mean yeah i think they're stupid but I, as i said i also think they've got their hands full just keeping things on on course. even if it's a bad course they got to keep it on some i don't course. think
1: they're classically stupid as in they're just it, it, there's no uptake there i just think well, they're, they're not village they're, idiots i don't mean no. they're the village idiot they're i know. think yeah they're
3: some of them know they're exactly too, what they're doing. Uh,
1: possibly, I think <laughs> they're too educated. There's a there's an there's a kind of stupid that comes from over educating yourself to the point that you lose touch with the world around you.
0: Okay, I gotta look this up. Talk, talk for a second while I look up a, a very important speech. For a second, hold on a second. Um, um, what's anybody doing this weekend while I look up this speech? Hold on.
1: Planting trees. Ah. At which point I That's will nice. We will either retain or lose our advertiser <laughs>
3: oh boy See, it's true Noah's not going to be a shill if he doesn't like the product that's
1: oh. that's right that I, i'm doing aikido and eats.
3: cooking be honest
1: cooking what are you cooking
3: uh, i don't know i i, I don't know the, the the uh the field is wide open so noah who's a very good cook should make some suggestions
1: um always start with molecular gastronomy <laughs> so you, uh, if
3: i'm not ambitious
1: <laughs> make some some little bubbles out of soy sauce that retain their uh, okay the style strength
3: large okay. platters uh, of meat was what i was thinking that
0: works <laughs> what you guys are talking about is more interesting than what i'm gonna i just want to point out about stupidity and education and all of that yes they're very educated i'm just gonna i just want to i just want to read this out to you why anybody can have a brain That's a very mediocre commodity. Every pusillanimous creature that crawls on the earth or slinks through slimy seas has a brain. Back where I come from, we have universities, seats of great learning where men go to become great thinkers. And when they come out, they think deep thoughts with no more brains than you have, but they have one thing you haven't got, a diploma. Thereby, by the virtue of the authority vested in me by the universita comitiatum e plur I hereby confer to you, Upon you, the honorary degree of THD, that's Doctor of Thinkology. That, of course, the Wizard of Oz's speech to the Scarecrow pins the diploma on his chest. And the Scarecrow says the sum of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. So uh, that's where uh, you can have a diploma and be very educated and not have any more brains than the Scarecrow who doesn't have any brains until he gets a diploma pinned on his chest or handed to him. I guess it's the cowardly lion that gets the metal pinned on his chest. Anyway, so that's my, that's my speech for today. We'll be back uh, tomorrow (laughs) for Abe, Christina, Noah. I'm John Podhoretz.
2: Keep the camel burning.